The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Friday, September 4th. Oh my goodness, it's September already. Friday, September 4th, we have a great show for everyone. I am Neil Toff, co-host, co-creator of Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Paul, you out there, my other co-host and co-creator of this baby. In, indeed I am, and I can't believe Neil, it's the 4th of September, and we started this when we first went into lockdown, right? I'm, I'm amazed and so proud of, of you and me, but also for all the support and the positive feedback that we keep getting. Um, it's a wonderful place to be right now, so thank you to all our audience. I never thought I'd say that. We have an audience, Neil. Can you believe it? We have it? an audience. We have audience, we have guests, we have people that actually come and want to spend you know, half an hour or an hour of time with us once a week. It's amazing. Speaking of which, ladies and gentlemen, today is, a, is an opportunity. It's a pleasure. It's a, an amazing moment because I get to be the host of the person that normally hosts. We get to interview the person that normally interviews. We get to pick the brain of someone who's normally picking our brains, the one and only Andrew Gillum. Andrew, let us hear you. Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. And that is a, a great introduction. My how, how the tables have turned. Right. Tell us, I mean, you know, this is really, I do think the tables have turned. You are normally the one interviewing. You're the one that is getting us on ICMI chat. That's hashtag ICMI chat. For those of you that are not on it, you gotta be on it. We'll plug it uh, and talk about it throughout this, but you're usually the one during the chat or during the ICMI webinars or HDI events or other events in our industry. You're the one typically asking us questions and getting us to talk and getting us to share ideas and to give us the voice to become thought leaders. But those of us that know you and have read you and get to talk with you, we know you're a thought leader, but not everybody gets to see that. I think this is a great opportunity to showcase and put Andrew under the spotlight and get him to talk. Agreed? I am very excited. That's very kind of you. Um, it is an honor to speak with all of the people that I have an opportunity to speak with through HDI and ICMI. Um, conducting those interviews is a lot of fun. You know, the hardest part um, I interviewed you, Neil, for a ebook a while back. And the hardest part is after all of these interviews come in from all of these uh, really smart um, subject matter experts in their fields is trying to trim it down. Um, I'm working on one right now. I'm trying to trim it down from over 20,000 words to three or 4,000 words and uh, just trying to pick the, the real highlights. But I want to save... I want to save it all, but it would be too long. <laughs> the outtakes, the outtakes themselves would make a great movie or book or, or, or piece of content usually in, in, in these cases. You know, the sign of a, of a when, you, when one is interviewed or when one is asked to write something, the sign of whether it's good or not, I think, is whether it feels effortless. I remember the interview that you and I did on Zoom, I think it was probably maybe right around the beginning of COVID actually right approximately. Mm -hmm. And I remember we spent probably no less than 40 minutes and it was it was involved, it was intense, like you asked some probing questions. And I remember leaving like, oh, that was fun. Like good, it was, it was, it, was, it yeah. required focus and energy, but it was effortless for me because it was a conversation. 
you're very I like to ask the tough questions. getting the ideas out of me and having a conversation rather than it's being just a ping pong of question and answer question and answer it wasn't ping pong it was a conversation yeah and i like to ask those probing questions um especially in icmi chat i think uh by the way icmi chat one eastern 10 pacific every tuesday on twitter get to, um, get just it, get join it. us hashtag icmi chat but what I found for me, uh, because I joined ICMI Chat for over a year at least before I had the opportunity to host, and there are a couple things that I got from that that I didn't think I would get from a tweet chat. One is you actually have to articulate ideas that you don't necessarily think about very often. What is customer service? Why is customer service good? Um, how much is too much to give away to an angry customer? That was one of our recent chats. Um, coming up next week from the time of recording, we're talking about that's our policy, deregulating customer service and the role that policies play. And these are things that you can be really, really brilliant at operations. And for me, having been in a, a practitioner role before, I was good at the day-to-day -day stuff, but I never really had a occasion to think about and try to explain why you should do something a certain way or why this is important or why this practice is good or bad. And with ICMI chat, not only do you have to kind of have that internal conversation with yourself, and I, I really hope that they are thought-provoking and make people kind of consider. You don't have a lot of time to consider, but I hope that it gives someone something to think about. And then you also have to articulate your argument in less than 280 characters. And that'll make you, force you into some choices about how you want to explain something. And I think it makes it a lot easier in the future when you go into a business meeting or you're working with uh, coaching an agent or something like that, you now have this experience of having explained these things. So I think that's really valuable. It only takes an hour a week. It only takes an hour a week. You know, one interesting thing just to, to, to close the loop, I think maybe on ICMI chat, that's hashtag ICMI chat, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a Pacific, correct? Did I get it yeah. right? Get it right. Um, is that outside of that one hour per week, the chat kind of lives on the rest of the hours during the week, both in follow-ups and responses to people that may not have participated at that very moment. They're going back before they go to bed that night or the next day and people are still responding. And you can still see three or four days later, people are riffing off some of these ideas and answering and retweeting because there's some really good content around there. I also, you know, I think another great sign of how strong the chat is, is you see these little cottage industries that pop up around the chat. Just think about Jeremy Watkin. He created the CX question of the day. That's hashtag CXQOTD that I've participated in. You've certainly participated in it, where he creates some questions, oftentimes that run in parallel with what your topic of the day is or what the topic of the day was. And that same thing, it'll go on for a week, but the source and the inspiration is you and the ICMI chat, right? Well, only only on some of them. Sometimes he'll uh, ping me and let me know that he stole a question from my ICMI chat for CXQOTD, 
which I'm always honored when we can extend the conversation that way. It expands the audience, it gets people thinking, you know, I, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, if I forced you to think about your position on an issue, I think that's valuable. I think I've done my job. I think that is a true sign of you doing your job. And I am one of those you have made think, and I disagree with you on some of them. I absolutely agree with you on all of them, but at the minimum level, you make me think, and that's why I value so much about it. Let's jump right into um, the big topic that we wanted to address today. And by the way, all these other things, there's so many other side conversations and topics we could have that, that, that would be relevant, I think, to what our, our audience deals with on a day-to-day basis. But let's jump into the bigger one. So you've told us, um, we have a little preview of it before we hit the record button, but we'll talk about it today, that um, you are in the process uh, with ICMI to, about publishing some findings around COVID and work from home. And by the way, Paul and I have said, we're going to try to stay away from work from home and COVID because it, it, maybe it's, we don't want to beat the dead horse and everyone's tired of it. But let's talk about it. Let's really put this one on the table because you have some findings, I think, and some research that's done that you're going to publish, I think, in two weeks. Tell the audience a little bit about what they have to look forward to, what they can learn. Neil, I think absolutely. Is, I think, sorry, Andrew, but I think this is different. I think in the past we've spoken about what will COVID and what will work from home look like. What Andrew's going to do is actually share, or what the report will do is share some of the results that he's seen from the COVID and from working from home. So I think it's, yeah, I know we don't want to mention the C word, but it's it's slightly different. This, and the C I'm, word. The no, C it's, word, right? And I, 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 let's I, I, get it out. Let's mention the C word. <laughs> illuminate us, Andrew. Tell us what we have to learn or what the audience has to learn uh, from the findings. Let's do it. So I, I will build on that. I have been very deliberate for the past many months since March. I have expressly forbid myself from saying the word COVID publicly. This is the first time, wow. first moment right oh here. My God. It's out there. And you, know, and you know, my thought on that was that I don't really have any particular value to add to COVID. Everything has been done there. Um, what I am excited about for this and why I'm breaking my silence is because we actually did some research of how the industry responded to the pandemic in looking at how they prepared and how they reacted. And I will say there were some things that surprised me. There were some things that I was very happy to see that I had thought or assumed would happen and, and they happened. Um, one of the things that took me a little bit by surprise is that not a whole lot of organizations necessarily prepared specifically for work from home. Um, especially, we did this report both for the contact center side on ICMI and also on the HDI side, which is our IT service and support and enterprise service management communities. And it was interesting because we actually asked, how had you prepared for emergencies before January 2020? And then what did you do after, you know, where were you on uh, July 1st? 2020. What's really interesting is in advance, not a whole lot of organizations had really prepared for work from home specifically. And it, from the IT side, if you think about what is a typical disaster recovery business continuity plan, that is planning for a meteor to hit your data center and burn it down. And that's much different 
than a global pandemic. Um, that is one of the biggest themes that we've seen in the research. But what was really interesting is that preparing for any emergency equips you to better respond to any emergency. So even those organizations who did not specifically prepare for a global pandemic rated their response as being more effective than those who were making it up as they go along. And what I attribute that to is that preparing for any emergency, any business continuity or disaster recovery discussion that you have, there are a couple sort of foundational elements. It doesn't really matter what the emergency is, but you have to identify your key services and stakeholders. You have to prioritize um, what's important. You have to build your command and control infrastructure in an emergency. You have to uh, established communication. And there are lots of other things that go into planning for any emergency. And if you have those conversations in advance, then it doesn't really matter what the emergency is that happens, even if you weren't preparing for this specific thing. I, I always get a laugh at the show preppers because it seems like there are people who are really, really well prepared for just this one thing, but very clearly not prepared for anything that's not just that one thing that they're particularly uh, afraid of. And, but, and, and with our disaster recovery, but what we've learned is if you have these conversations in advance with your team, if you do kind of the work of identifying what's important, how you're going to communicate, how you're going to operate in an emergency, then that is really a, a key driver of effectiveness it, you don't have to have a crystal ball in order to be prepared. You just have to know what is important to your operation. So as an outsourced, as a provider of outsourced contact center services, we are mandated uh, by most of our clients to have some type of business continuity plan, DCP, or disaster mm -hmm. and or disaster recovery. Um, oftentimes we are requested to share those documents really proved that we have a document and we have to send a PDF of what mm -hmm. we have. But as the boxer Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the nose. And all of a sudden, you can have all the documentation and all the beautiful PDFs that you want, but once you get punched in the nose and are a little woozy and to get your bearings again and be able to stand back up in the ring and operate, it's, it's a vastly different story. Um, I'm curious if you found um, that in the findings that, that one thing is what companies thought they were prepared for, and the other is what they were really able to do once the you know what hit the fan. Yeah, so to kind of build on your analogy, um, if you get punched in the nose in the ring, that is like walking into a situation being prepared. You know you're going to get punched in the nose and maybe your existing plan has to change, but you still knew that this was a, a risk. You still knew that I'm gonna get hit somewhere, um, at least if your opponent is a good boxer. And it, that is wholly different than not being in the ring. If you're just walking down the street and get punched in the nose, you're not gonna know where you are. Like what, what's going on, what's happening yeah. here? And um, so kind of identifying and knowing what the mission is I think before you get into the ring is, uh, is, is really helpful. 
And what we've seen is that anyone who was prepared for any emergency, they were uh, better able, they rated their responses being more effective generally than those who had made up their response plan as they went along. And I think that's because they had had some of these conversations in advance that underlie any emergency response. And that report, the full report will be coming out in uh, hopefully just a week or two, if it's not already out from when this podcast is released. So definitely go to icmi.com and look for that. I'm really excited for the findings that we have in there. Super. Are there any examples, and I'm not sure if you're able to talk about them, or just kind of specific examples of companies that did things well that are um, outside of just our own uh, unique experiences? So we were talking earlier about some specific companies. Paul and I, early on when we started the podcast, were talking about companies that did really well uh, with their contact center services. But if I remember, Instacart was one that I kept naming. Um, uh, yep. You know, I think there was some, some great ones. Is, is in your findings, are there any references to companies that have done really well or that stand out in having actually uh, prepared and executed well? So we only report our results in aggregate. Um, there's not, I'm not able to call out a specific respondent, um, but I will say there are some other things I noticed that I was kind of pleased. Um, generally, when uh, one correlation that we kind of talk about and we hear about, and I was really happy to see this reflected in the data, when employee satisfaction goes up, um, then schedule adherence goes up and attrition goes down. And when employee satisfaction went down, guess what? Your schedule adherence went down and your attrition went up. Um, and that was very clear from a lot of the, the data. So I was happy to see things like that. Isn't it interesting that even in crisis, mm -hmm. um, lack of engagement or lack of, or lack of satisfaction, lack of employee satisfaction, it doesn't matter that people still need their jobs and need to pay their bills. They'll still walk. They won't show up. They'll show up late. They won't do a good job. And, and then everything, the domino effect takes place and everything down the line in the value chain goes to heck, right? There are still companies who are hiring right now, especially for um, industries. There's some industries that have experienced a lot of growth. Many of those are customer service related. If you think about the um, e-commerce companies who've now seen a massive growth and a lot more customers who are trying to be onboarded to their platform, um, you know, they need talented, uh, good employees. And you may also be competing with things outside of the contact center, like some gig, um, gig economy workers that may be the shoppers for these uh, shopping services through like Instacart or Shipped. Um, you have the competition still there, it's still real. And in some cases, those other industries right now are booming. By the way, you made me think, I've been meaning to bring this up with Paul. I use the, the term e-commerce all the time. At some point, is that term gonna disappear? Aren't all companies e-commerce really at this point? And if they're not, they'll disappear certainly. But isn't that kind of a funny term to be using right now? I always say, you're like, digital transformation, digital marketing. And I asked someone this the other day, like, what do you mean digital marketing? Isn't most marketing digital as it is now? And I kind of got a blank stare, like I was crazy, but but it just made me think of e-commerce as that's a term that may at some point just go away, no? 
I mean, that's a, a good point because if you think about to use your marketing example, you know, television is digital now. Like even if you're delivering it through a regular set-top box, a lot of the distribution methods to get that to the platform you're advertising on is digital. It's created and edited usually digitally. I don't know anyone who's still using film. Um, so e-commerce, I think maybe there's a need for a better distinction. But I think what e-commerce originally meant was we have a website that we sell things on. Um, hopefully everyone is prepared with a website that they can sell things on these days uh, because brick and mortar is uh, is suffering in some industries. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it'll go away. I think it definitely is pretty ubiquitous now. Definitely. We got off topic. Make us think about some different stuff because all the things that you write and say are absolutely provocative, uh, challenging. I would love to have you bust some CX myths. You prepared some ideas, take the ax to it, throw the hatchet at it, whatever it is you do in, I think you're in Kentucky, right? You guys throw axes out there, don't you? <laughs> I've heard that that happens. I've never personally done it myself. Let's throw a proverbial ax at some CX myth that you can just throw that thing wildly. Don't worry about hitting it, not hitting it, take aim, what would your first one be? Uh, so the first myth I think is that our heroes are getting it right and we should imitate them. And we were talking about this a little bit before we came on today, but I have this saying that I, it amuses me at least. Every time a bell rings, a keynote speaker talks about CX at Zappos. And it is, it is such a cliche and everyone wants to do what Zappos does or they see something cool. Um, I, you know, I've read, the book. Um, I also kind of follow the happenings at companies like the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company and um, Disney Leadership Institute has some really cool things coming out. And really any of these best practices that you read or, or case studies, um, and I love this, this is one of the reasons I love ICMI and HDI events so much, um, is that you have these case studies of organizations who are really getting it right. And many times I think we're often tempted to idolize and just duplicate and copy and paste. But what I think is more important is that we figure out what is the underlying driver of their success. Um, in many of these cases, it's organizational culture. It's having a customer service vision and having a really good understanding of what your organization and Hear team values Jeff. are. Hear that, Jeff Toyster, customer service vision. <laughs> yep, I, I have read the service culture handbook a couple of times. It's a, a good guide to getting started. Um, but it, it's so important that underlies everything else. You know, what do you want to do for your customers? And one thing that I like that Jeff uh, highlights in his book is that you cannot simply mandate this is our vision and expect everyone to do it. Um, you have to be able to explain that and preferably involve the front line in the creation of these things so it's actually meaningful. Um, if you putting up another poster isn't going to actually change how people behave. I remember one of my first jobs and it wasn't uh, expressly a customer service job, it was actually in manufacturing and they were very big 
on uh, quality and auditing things and, and suppliers, like you mentioned, had, uh, or our customers, we were a supplier, had certain requirements for things that we had to do. I remember my manager introduced the uh, quality statement and the organization's mission statement to me by saying, here they are. You don't have to know them or memorize them or anything. You just have to be able to point to them if someone asks you. Wow, I like, I really believed in that organization's mission after that. You just have to point to them. It's just there, it's decoration. And, um, you know, sometimes when we try to copy and paste what someone else is doing without kind of doing the hard work, we, we put up a different poster and we say, this is our new mission, do this. And it doesn't mean anything to anybody. And so you don't get the results that you're really hoping for. You have to kind of tailor things to your operating environment, to your organization's culture. Maybe there's a cultural shift that has to happen for that to be effective. But uh, while I love to be inspired by others, um, don't necessarily just look for their roadmap and say, I can follow their same roadmap and get to the same place. Um, you have to figure out how you adapt it. What are the, what are the kind of hidden lessons that, that are below the surface that get you there? We challenged Mike Aoki on our last session. Uh, I mean, we actually had the same idea, but he, he shared some of the same ideas. It's not the slogan. It's not the poster. It's not something you copy paste and throw up on the walls. And I said, what do you mean? And you can't just have a pizza party and get everybody to, to, to fall in line. And we laughed about that. It's the pizza party mentality. You can't, you just can't. Um, I love it. This one certainly re re resonates for me. I, I've, we talked about this before we hit the record button, like you said, and Zappos is a wonderful example. Amazon is a wonderful example. Most of our companies don't have the budgets or capital to be able to build even teams or to do many of the things that they do. That's why it's important, I think, to be authentic and create one's own path around one's own particular industry, team, skill set, one's own labor market, what they have access to, et cetera. I love it. Uh, for time purposes, I mean, look, these are, there's some great myths, that, myth busters that you've shared with us. But if we could go into this, the, the second of the three components of this last part of the session, CX quotes, and please share the one that 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 I like. I hope you, you get into that one. But if you don't, that's perfectly okay. I just have one of my favorites, the ones that I think you have top of mind. But go ahead, share share what what your CX quote that is most most resonates for you. Well, and this this is going to be controversial. You're going to see the uh, ratings dip right after this. <laughs> uh, this comes from a book. the The book title itself is controversial. I'm sure. Uh, by Jeffrey Gittimer. He's also the author of the Sales Bible, I believe. So it's very blunt. He's a sales guy, very blunt. Um, and the book is very blunt and it tells you some things that you might not want to hear, but you need to hear and kind of think about. And that's one of the things I love about it. The title of the book is Customer Satisfaction is Worthless, Customer Loyalty is Priceless. And in that book, he says, satisfied is the lowest acceptable level of service offerings. Satisfied customers are only a measurement that everyone did their minimum job. Satisfied or satisfactory is another word for mediocre. So very satisfied must mean 
very mediocre. This and I will also point out, statement. if you buy the book, there's actually, I, I wish I had the rights to share this. Um, there is a graphic, there is a ladder of the acceptable, like of different levels of service. And it goes from loyalty to satisfied down to um, very dissatisfied. There's some cute little quotes out to the next, it's broken out into a grid. So it's got the satisfaction level, will the customer rebuy and will they refer you to others? Um, one of the rungs on this ladder is lawsuit and will they rebuy? Not even if it helps the space program. <laughs> wow. This so is good. So Paul, I, Paul I'm, I'm envisioning, because this, there's a lot to unpack in this uh, little paragraph that Andrew yeah. shared with us. I'm envisioning, because there's, there's got to be people that have different opinions about this. Some people go on. Wow. You've tweaked me. Yeah. I'm envisioning a panel on Fireside Chats Without the Fires. <gasps> With Andrew debating okay. this very point at some point for a future for a future session, I think. I I, I could not yeah. agree with you more. I think that, that would be great, and maybe something something we could do on LinkedIn Live, Neil. Maybe maybe that's the way forward. There we go. There we go. Andrew, let's let's wind the session down um, into the final component, which is uh, your CX hero or heroes. And I have not seen this list. I am so looking forward to knowing who your hero or heroes are, uh, because I think this is clearly going to be a list or, or, or set of people that are well thought out and people that I will absolutely start to pay attention to. So the first one, and, and I hope that you do start to pay attention, the frontline employees. There's so many employees who go above and beyond to really be CX heroes. And in a lot of cases, and this is not just every frontline employee, especially the ones that are intrinsically motivated. Um, there are a lot of organizations where you don't necessarily get a lot of extra praise or that you're not necessarily getting a huge bonus for doing a, a really amazing job. And those who can stay intrinsically motivated to do a good job because it's the right thing to do for the customer, because it is the, um, uh, because they care and take pride in their work they absolutely must be celebrated and nurtured and encouraged because they are the ones who will take that discretionary effort to try to help the organization. Um, CX hero number two is, and I'm surprised that no one else, I, I listened to the previous fireside chats. I don't think anyone else has said these. The customer, obviously, because they put up with a lot of stuff from us. Um, lots of surveys that are poorly designed and um, lots of service failures and they give us another chance. They give us their feedback. They tell us what they're thinking um, and, and they stick around. So we have to love our frontline employees. We have to love the customer, of course. My goodness. It's right in front of us, right, Paul? It's amazing. I love it. I love this guy. I the love frontline employees. And by the way, at times you have been very good at this, Paul. You've mentioned a few of your frontline employees and your team members. You've been very good at that. Um, but talking about them as a group, and it's it's right. We don't recognize the frontline employees enough. We bash them. We bash the hell out of them. They're an easy target. And we're very quick to jump on them when something goes wrong, right? We're very yeah. quick to do that. And I think we should, we should take a step back and understand what we're asking them to do and make sure 
have we actually set them up for success? Because sometimes we haven't done that from a company perspective, right? So yeah, exactly. And then right. of course, the customer again, right in front of us. We all talk. We all talk about customer, customer, customer's got to be the hero too. You're absolutely right. Yep. Right, and right in front of us. We've never mentioned it in all of these. We do the same question most weeks, and it, it's never come up. So yep. true. Andrew, see here I am just wrecking the uh, wrecking the standard. You just wrecked it, love changing it. it all up. You took the CX axe and threw it at the target. And actually, you hit it. You hit this one. <laughs> so here's what we do. Andrew Gillum has made us think. He's challenged us. And I think we come out better for it. At some point, I hope you come back on the show. I hope you'll be on a panel as we begin to think how to organize that and do it on LinkedIn live. Um, there's a ton we would like to unpack, I think, in the future with you. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you promise to come back. This has been an amazing session. Uh, I, I usually don't talk. I usually talk a lot. This time, I think I, I hope I talk less because I actually listen and pay attention and absorbing this. And I even took notes during this because there's some really good stuff in here to learn. Um, right. I hope our audience uh, just the same has absorbed these things. Um, Andrew, for those in case that are not following you, how do they find you? What is your whether handle or how do they find you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. So on LinkedIn, Andrew Gillum, uh, last name is G-I-L-L-I-A-M as in Mike. And you can also just go to andytg.com and there are links to all my social. There's lots of articles uh, to read that I've posted around the web and that's andytg.com. And um, also, I want to throw in a little plug for Neil and I's session where we're going to throw down at ICMI's Contact Center Expo a digital experience, October 13th to 14th. Um, Neil seems to really like bots or something. And I say that bots are bogus, change my mind. So we're going to be throwing the axes at each other virtually. And I'm it's, really excited for that. It's going to be a great it. session. It, it really is. It. Um, I get to go on. I get to go on Andrew's show and be obnoxious there. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do it here on our own show. But no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great session. It is a thought provoking session. One of you know, I think I've been thinking through to prepare and how do I structure the argument that there is validity to the bots and the reason why, et cetera, et cetera. The bot vision, maybe the bot customer service vision, if you want to borrow from from Jeff Poyster. But uh, anyway, yeah, there's just some great things to look forward to. Andrew, it was a pleasure having you. Loved it. Audience, follow Andrew. Check out ICMI chat, hashtag ICMI chat as well. And definitely look for the coming report that he mentioned that's going to come out on ICMI.com in about two weeks. Um, and look forward, we look forward to having him back. Andrew, you're the best. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Neil and Paul. And thank you so much to the audience. I hope that you enjoyed. Thank you, guys. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.